Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Um, we have finished the first three chapters of Ephesians. And the first three deal with doctrine. The last three deal with our duty as believers or what we're about to start here. What do, what do we do because of who we are? Well, we do what we do because of who we are. And Paul has told us who we are in the first three and now he says, this is the way you're supposed to live. The, the first three chapters deal with our position in Jesus. We're seated with him. We are his children. The last three chapters deal with our practice in Christ and what we should do. In the first three, we're pictured as seated with Christ in the heavenlies. In the last chapters, we're to walk in the spirit and we're going somewhere. We're doing something. And before you know what you do, you ought to know who you are and then never claim to be someone you're not. If you, if you are a child of God, you claim to be a Christian, then it ought to show. Uh, you, you need to know who you are. Maybe you've heard about the single guy who was having trouble getting dates or second dates, I should say. He read all the books he could. He listened to all the tapes and podcast on how to interest women and he discovered in order to be interesting to women you have to find out what they're interested in and be that or do that so he went to a baseball game and he happened to sit next to a very pretty single young lady and he thought there might be some possibilities so he said to her I see you enjoy baseball what kind of men do you like and she thought for a moment, she said, actually, I like Native American men, I like Jewish men, and I like just good old boys. What's your name? He thought for a moment, he said, my name is Geronimo Goldstein, and my friends call me Bubba. <laughs> He's trying to be what she wanted him to be. You have to be careful that you don't claim to be who you're really not. But if you are a believer, there's going to be some evidence of it. Look at verse 1. I, therefore, now there, therefore, he's talking about the last three chapters, the, the passage before. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Therefore is always a transition for this reason, sometimes it's translated that way, for this reason or therefore. I, I, you've heard me say, many of you, most of the, the time we've been together, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? Because he's about to say something based on what he's just written. 
And he's told us who we are in Christ. Therefore, he tells us to do something. So we're going to talk about walking your talk. Not talking, but walking your talk. The first thing you'll notice is the appeal to worthy walking. He said, I, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul knew that following Jesus could be costly. In fact, he was in jail because preaching Jesus. He was in jail because he was a believer. He was in jail because of his obedience. He wasn't seeking any sympathy. He was just emphasizing the fact that he belongs to the Lord no matter what happens to him, no matter where the Lord allows him to go. He's a prisoner of the Lord. You know, we have a tendency to be self-centered instead of Christ-centered. And he said, I, therefore, I'm a believer, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. I beseech you. We don't use that word, beseech you, anymore. Um, and it's really not the word that you would use for a simple request. It, it means to call along one side with the idea of wanting help or to be helped. It's very intense word. Um, if you were trying to make emphasis, you were asking somebody to do something, you know, it's one thing to say, would you do this? Would you help me? It's another to say, I am begging you to help me. That's more of the beseech. That's more of the intensity of it. He's saying, I am, I am telling you, I am pleading with you, I am imploring you. I'm not giving you a suggestion. I'm begging you to walk worthy. And the word worthy or the word walk refers to your daily conduct, your daily life, where you go every day and the way that you live. It's the theme of the last three chapters, to walk according to Christ, to walk in his way. The word worthy has the root word that means balance the scales. What's on one side of the scale should be equal to the other side of the scale. All that God has done for us should be shown in our life on this side. Now, it's not in order to be saved that you're doing these works or you're doing this life, but because you have Jesus, it shows uh, there are so many, there's a lot of emphasis today that, that says, well, you can, you can be born again or you can be saved and yet it doesn't matter how you live. You're under grace, but folks, grace is not cheap. That makes grace cheap. It doesn't mean that you can follow Jesus and then, and say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then no one can ever tell that you're a believer because you, you look just like everyone else. You talk like everyone else. You dress like everyone else. To walk worthy is to reflect what God has done for us and that our lives have been changed. We've been forgiven. We've been given a new life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's so important that you walk worthy of your calling. I don't know how many years ago this was, but in San Jose, California, Luke Goodrich was burning garbage out behind his home, and that is against the law. Well, what's worse is that Luke was burning his garbage. The fire got away from him, 
and it spread over 100 acres. It took six helicopters and 400 firefighters to put it out. Luke Goodrich was the captain of the San Jose Fire Department. <laughs> you think, well, how awful. And yet, as believers, people who carry the name of Jesus, we need to reflect that. Some of you will remember in 1989, before a convention of Arab lawyers that were assembled, here's what one man stood up and said in 1989. An Arab country does not have the right to occupy another Arab country. And if God forbid Iraq should deviate from the right path, other Arab nations must send their armies to put things right. If Iraq should become intoxicated by its power and should move to overwhelm another Arab state, Arabs would be right to deploy their armies to stop it. Saddam Hussein. Now, for those of you who were born after 1989, it was not too long after that, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, another Arab state. In a courtroom, the, the district attorney asked the witness, how long have you known the defendant? The witness said about 14 years. Well, please tell the court whether you think this man is the type who would steal this money or not. There was a long pause, and finally the witness said, how much money was it? <laughs> you get the picture? Listen, I know none of us are perfect. We're just forgiven. But we should be showing it in the way that we live. He's going to illustrate it. The calling to which you have been called. It's the, it's the calling by which you were saved. You know, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And John 12, 32 says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Simply put, you can remember the day that you were saved. You felt the Lord calling you to respond. Now, I fully believe you could turn him down. But that calling, that the calling to salvation, the, the drawing, the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin, convinced you you needed to be saved. The Holy Spirit drew you to him. He said, that's the calling. He said, you've, you've come to Christ. The Lord invited you. He brought you into his family. Act like it. Look like it. You, did your parents ever tell you when you were younger? And I know it's going to be hard for some of us to remember when we were younger. But do you remember your folks would say something like, now, you remember who you are. You remember you represent our family when you're about to go out and behave. Yeah, exactly. We're supposed to be a certain kind of people. We're God's children. We're the light of the world. We stand out. Not because we're weird. Not because we're obnoxious. Not because we're drawing attention to ourselves. But there comes a time when you have life, well, not comes a time, you have life and there comes a time when those without that life, they realize you've got something they don't have to live for Christ. It's kind of sad that there's no more 
Barnum and Bailey Circus. But about 100 years ago, they faced a crisis. The man who was shot out of the cannon every time they had a performance was asked by his wife to quit his high-risk job. Well, P.T. Barnum, whose, whose wit was equal to his showmanship, was determined not to lose this employee, and he went to see him and said, I beg you to reconsider. Men of your caliber are hard to find. I don't know if he got him back or not. <laughs> Christians are a certain caliber. We're not better than anybody else. Just forgiven. Given life. We're the light. There's a difference in us. Three things to remember as you walk worthily. First of all, we walk with purpose. It's, the Christian life is not some random bouncing off everything walk. You're not driven by every wind of doctrine. There's a purpose in our life. The Lord's given you a purpose. When you realize, you know what? Now that I follow Jesus, I have purpose where I work. I have purpose where I'm going. It guides me in all that I do. Not only that, there's progress. You're, when you first get saved, you're like a newborn babe in Christ and there's progress. You grow. You mature. It's called sanctification. You, you mature in the Lord. The way you mature is to study the Word, to spend time with God's people, spend time with the Lord. You grow. You mature. The Lord grows you. There's progress in your life. And there's also perseverance. Because I want to tell you, how many people start off and then quit? You know, I wish I could tell you that following Jesus was easy, but it's, it's not. Because you're going one way on a broad path that everyone else is going the other way. You're not better. You're not judging anybody. It's, there's just always, have you noticed there's just always resistance? There's just always resistance. Always, no matter what you're doing for the Lord, there's always resistance. And so you persevere. You keep on keeping on. We're not to walk and quit. We have no guarantee that our walk will be an easy one, so perseverance is required. You walk with purpose, and you walk with progress. You're growing, and you persevere. Well, then he gives the attributes of this worthy walking in verse 2. He's, a Christian's walk is going to look a certain way. Now, it'd be nice if God put a badge on us. You're walking worthily. You, you've earned your walking worthily badge. But he doesn't do that. So what does it look like? If a person is honoring the Lord in their walk, what are some of the attributes? Well, the first one is lowliness or humility. The word to, means to think or judge with lowliness, to have a lowliness of mind. Did you know the Greeks and the Romans didn't have a word for humility because that was the furthest thing from their mind? Humility is a virtue that's highly sought. However, you never claim it <laughs> because if you claim it, you forfeited it. You want to have it, but you don't brag about it because you start bragging about it, you lost it. 
Humility is foreign to the world. It, it doesn't mean that you walk around hating yourself. It doesn't mean that you walk around letting people walk on you. You just realize who you are in Jesus. You're a sinner saved by grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You accepted it by faith, but it was given to you. John Brody, many years ago, was a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. He was asked one time why a multi-million dollar player like him would have to hold the ball for field goals and points after touchdown. And his simple answer was, if I didn't hold it, it would fall over. <laughs> Nobody's too good. I mean, if you think about it, we're all sinners saved by grace. The church often reflects the, the worldly perspective and about recognizing and you got to have a lot of public recognition and awards and trophies and enticements, but we've got to be careful that we don't get the big head. You know, it'd be real easy for us at South Crest to say, look what we're doing the better answer is, look what we get to be part of. Because God's doing it. Jesus is bringing people. Jesus is saving people. We want him to fall in love with Jesus. We want them to fall in love with Christ. You know, sometimes we, we want to, you know, you ever heard somebody say, well, I would say something nice to you, but I want you to get the big head. Well, one pastor was asked to speak for a certain charitable organization, and after the meeting, the program chairman handed him a check, and the pastor said, oh, I can't take this. You have better uses for the money in your organization. You apply it to one of those uses, and the program chairman said, well, you, do you mind if we put it in our special fund? The pastor said, well, the preacher said, well, what's your special fund? He said, it's a fund so we can get a better speaker next year. What was the first sin in the world? The first sin in the world was pride. I want to be equal with God. I want to have my own way. I want to go my own way. And every other sin is an extension of pride. Humility begins when you have a proper self-awareness. It begins with an honest view of yourself. And when you're honest with yourself, you realize, I am just a man. I am just a woman. I'm a person saved by faith. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. I'm not anything more special to God than any of the other people that are saved. I've been given different responsibilities, but I'm never to look down my nose at anyone else. Because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Second, it involves Christ awareness. He's the only standard by which righteousness can be judged. So if you want to elevate yourself, look around you. I promise you, you can find somebody in here who's a bigger sinner than you. At least you think they are. So you think, well, you know, compared to so-and-so over there, I'm, I'm pretty good. But nobody wants to go stand by Jesus. <laughs> Because when you stand next to perfection, it doesn't look so good. You know, they keep making flashlights brighter. 
And I like that because the older I get, for some reason, I need them brighter. But no matter how bright a flashlight is, if you go outside in the bright sunshine, high noon, you turn that light on, you can hardly tell it's on unless you look at it. Well, our righteousness compared to other people might look pretty good because we're all in darkness. And when you're in darkness, all of it looks good. But when you're next to the light of Jesus, you realize, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm, uh, that's what lowliness is, to walk with the attitude, I've been forgiven, I've been rescued, I want to see somebody else rescued too. The second word is meekness or gentleness. Now, we've got a funny idea about meekness, at least the world does. In fact, it rhymes with weakness, so we think it means that. To be a meek person means to be weak. We've kind of got this idea, kind of like the guy who, who was a bookkeeper, and he was suspicious of his wife's infidelity. So he decided to see for himself. He left her early one time to go home, and sure enough, he found a hat and an umbrella on the table, and his wife sitting on the couch kissing another man, and he was furious, so he grabbed the umbrella, broke it across his knee, and said, there, I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope it rains. <laughs> That's kind of what we feel like, meekness. Well, I want to tell you, meekness, the word means to be under control. It's, it's a picture of a horse that's been brought under control. You put a bridle in a horse's mouth, you have not changed the horse's strength. You have not changed the horse's abilities. You've brought it under control. Holy Spirit brings us under control. You, some people say, well, you know, I just have a bad temper. I've just been that way. Well, I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit can change that. That's called meekness. That's called gentleness. It's meekness, it's power under control. Biblical meekness is power under the control of God. Meekness is one of the surest signs of humility. Because when you cannot possess meekness without humility, and you cannot possess meekness with pride. Pride and humility are mutually exclusive, and so are pride and meekness or gentleness. Humble people are usually gentle people, but they're not weak people. Meek is not a synonym for weak. And so the Holy Spirit brings it, brings you under control. He's still working on you. He's chipping away, helping you. Third word is long-suffering. Patience. Macrothumia. Long-tempered. The patient person endures negative circumstances and never gives in to them. Now, you had Greek philosophers like Aristotle. Aristotle said that the greatest Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate any insult and being ready to strike back. That was the greatest Greek virtue. Well, but that's not God's way. God's way says, you know what? You were patient with other people. You're not ready to strike back. You're not ready to fight back. <laughs> I like what uh, Manford George Gutsky said, to become long-suffering, one has to be long-bothered. 
You got anybody that long bothers you? The patient person accepts God's plan for everything without questioning or grumbling. He doesn't complain when his calling seems to be less glamorous than someone else's calling. When somebody else gets more uh, recognition than another person or gets an award or whatever, you see, the Lord could even put you in a difficult situation. It means to be long-tempered. I haven't quite gotten long-suffering in my car yet. (laughs) Because these loving drivers long bother me. (laughs) I'm working on it. Sometimes I remember to pray for them. Sometimes I don't. I'm not the only one. I can tell by your laughter. There was a man in Los Angeles, California, was arrested for the negligent discharge of a weapon after shooting his toilet bowl five times with a 38 caliber handgun. Seriously. He claims he just got upset. He couldn't take it any longer. His daughter had flushed a hairbrush earlier in the day and clogged the pipes, so he shot the toilet. We still don't have any word on the toilet's condition. But the man's patience was long gone. I mean, we do stupid stuff. That's not becoming of a believer. Obviously, obviously, sometimes people get on our last nerve and we're not perfect. But we our life shouldn't be characterized by that. It should be characterized by being more tolerant and patient and long-tempered. Someone wrote it this way, patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can, found seldom in a woman, never in a man. And I love this one. Sunday morning, a lady was teaching her class of small girls on the subject of patience. She said, what is patience? One little girl raised her hand and said, patience is when you're sitting in church and the preacher is preaching. You're just sitting there and he is preaching. He keeps preaching and preaching and you keep sitting there. That is patience. I can relate to that. (laughs) The next was forbearing or unselfish. This comes from being humble and being meek or under control and patient. It means to put up with someone. Forbearing love takes abuse from others while continuing to love them. Not in an emotional way. It gives continuously and unconditionally, covers a multitude of sin. 1 Peter 4, 8 says we're to love each other with a fervent love because love covers a multitude of sin. It throws a blanket over the sins of others, not to justify or excuse them, but to keep the sins from becoming any more known than necessary. We're not to excuse sin, but but we don't pass it around. We don't talk about it. We want to help them as much we can. Dr. Newton tells of an old couple that were known to have been constantly quarreling for many years, and all at once, the strife seemed to stop. And so the village gossip called to inquire what had happened or produced the change, and she was told that they kept two scripture bears in the house, and it was due to them. One of them was bear ye one another's burdens. The other one was forbearing 
one another in love. The names were bear and forbear. And they said, we become believers. And that's the reason we don't fight all the time anymore. A farmer was out plowing his field. The spring thaw had just occurred, and there were a lot of muddy valleys in the field. And y'all know how these fields around here get muddy after it rains. And one particular place he was plowing, his tractor became stuck in the mud. And the harder he tried, the deeper it went in the mud. And finally, he walked over to his neighbor to ask for help. And the neighbor came over and looked at the situation. And he shook his head, and he said, it doesn't look good, but I tell you what, I'm going to give it a try pulling you out but if we don't get out, I'll just come sit in the mud with you. I want to tell you, although we may not all be farmers, we do experience getting stuck in the mud every now and then. And when somebody can come sit in the mud with you, do you have any mud-sitting friends? It's the kind of friend I had. I was, was helping last Sunday. A mud-sitting friend. <laughs> Maybe I can get you out, but they'll come sit in the mud with you. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do for a friend. Is just go sit with them. Don't have to say anything. You don't have to gripe about it. Just sit in the mud with them. And then the outcome of this is unity. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The outcome of humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance is preserving the unity. Now, the word to be diligent or um, endeavoring basically means to make haste, to have a zeal and a diligence. It's interesting that we're all, that one of the few things we're told to guard, I mean, there we guard the doctrines and all, but, but we're told to guard the unity. Not, it doesn't mean uniformity. Uniformity is when everybody believes the same. I mean, everybody's just alike, like clone. But unity means that in our differences, we're still together. And what holds us together? Jesus. The Holy Spirit. Of the Spirit. Keeping the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Of the Spirit, every true believer is bound by the Holy Spirit to other people. Our spirit, we have a kindred spirit. Now, you, you say, well, I have a kindred spirit with other people because I like the same football team or I like baseball or we have the same hobbies, we play golf, whatever. But, you know, you go around the world and you meet other believers that you've never met before. And they're believers in Jesus. You may not even speak the same language, but there is a kindred connection with the Spirit of God. It's, it's, the, it's an amazing thing. You see it in their face. You see it in their eyes. You see that they love Jesus, and they know that you love Jesus, even though you cannot communicate with one another. There's a unity. Spiritual unity is not created by the church. It's created by the Holy Spirit. And, and when you don't have people that are angry with one another and that are, that are patient with one another, that are humble and realize who they are in Jesus, then there's a peace and a spirit about the church. People feel it when they walk in. I can't tell you how many times in the um, hospitality room that people 
make statements like, when I walked in here, I felt like I was at home. I, I felt like there was peace. I felt the Holy Spirit. I, they sense it. They sense a unity, even though there are a lot of names we don't know, but we just, we just know that we love Jesus. And, it's, and one of the reasons we keep lifting up Jesus, he draws them to him. But we're in you know, Casey Stingle, who was a coach many, many years ago, said it's easy to get good players. But getting, to play, getting them to play together, that's the hard part. I mean, look at the NFL. Everybody's a showboat. Not everybody. But, you know, you've got a bunch of good players, and then when they, when they make a good player, they score, they act like they're the only ones on that field. They forgot about all those other guys that helped them do that. What's true in baseball is also true in the ministry of the local church. If you walk with lowliness, humility, meekness, long-tempered, loving one another, guarding the unity, there's peace. I've been in situations where there was not peace. And the last thing Paul mentions here, or, or I will call your attention to, is the argument for walking worthily. Because w what basis do we have to walk together like this? Everything that relates to salvation, the church, and the kingdom of God is based on the concept of unity. And Paul mentions seven things here. Practical oneness is based on spiritual oneness. You have a church that's together, it's because they're together spiritually. Again, I tell you, we like different colors. We like different football teams. We have different hobbies. We like different foods. We like different temperatures. So why are we all in here together? Well, first of all, I want you to notice something. Verse 4 talks about the Spirit. Verse 5 talks about the Lord. And verse 6 talks about the Father. You've got the Trinity mentioned here. The first is unity in the Spirit. One body, one body. Every person on this earth who has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ by faith is part of that one body. One day, the rapture is going to occur and this one body is going to be taken out of here. Now, there are a lot of divisions or a lot of, uh, what should I say, departments. We're just a small department of the body of Jesus on the earth. We are a local body of believers, but we're not the only ones that are saved. There's one body. There's one group of God's children. The thousands of different denominations are not the thousand bodies of Christ. Those who've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're part of the body. Just because you use Jesus' name in your title doesn't mean you're part of the body either. All those who've been accepted by faith. There's one spirit, one Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. And we receive the Holy Spirit when we are saved. It's the guarantee. It's the down payment. It's the guarantee that you're going to heaven. It's the guarantee you've been saved. And guess what? We all have the same Holy Spirit in our life. 
And there's one hope of our calling. Who is the hope of our calling? Jesus. One hope. The main thing to remember about one hope is that Christ is our hope. It's not our theological viewpoint. Colossians 127 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do do y'all believe Jesus is the only way to be saved? The one hope of our calling. The one and only hope. Verse 5 is unity in the Son. There's one Lord. You know, one of the earliest creeds of the church was Jesus is Lord. Do you know, well, that's why Christians were persecuted? It wasn't that the Romans cared that they believe in their God, but, but they, and, and, but there was that the Christians believed there was no other God, but there was only one Lord, and to them it was Caesar. To Christians, they said, no, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That's what caused the persecution with them. There's only one Lord, and that's Jesus. The Bible is expressly clear on the point that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, the only bridge between God and man. John 14, 6, Acts 4, 12, 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's only one faith. Now, he's not talking about your personal faith here. He's talking about a system of belief. There's only one way to be saved. One way. We are surrounded by people today who just can't handle that. It's just anti-American to them not to have choice. It's so narrow-minded to them. But Jesus made it pretty clear, didn't he? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That cannot be any more clear to me (laughs) in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. One baptism. Now, folks, spiritual baptism is implied in verse 4. One spirit, we're baptized in his spirit. In verse 5, I personally believe it's talking about Believer's baptism. And because of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father, Father, Son, and Spirit mentioned here, in the New Testament, a believer publicly confessing Jesus as Lord, it was the public declaration of your faith. In no way did it save you. It did not wash away any sin. The only thing that could atone for your sin is the shed blood of Jesus. But Jesus walked 30 miles to be baptized by John the Baptist to set that example for us. And he said, I want you to profess me before men. And baptism was not done in church buildings in the New Testament. It's over here now, isn't it? All my life has been behind me. It's over here now. But in the New Testament, people were baptized in the open, in the lakes and streams and any bit body of water. And when people saw people being baptized, it was a, an immediate association. There's one of those Christians, Christians. That's why you hear me say baptism doesn't save you, but it's not optional. 
Because it's the first act of obedience when you follow Jesus. We have Baptist on our name. It goes back for many years in history. We don't baptize anybody in the name of Southcrest. We don't baptize anybody in the name of the pastor or a prominent evangelist or even an apostle. We only baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a public declaration. Those who by one Lord are in one faith testify to the unity, that unity in, in their baptism. Secret discipleship's impossible because it'll either destroy the discipleship or the discipleship will destroy the secrecy. You can't be a secret disciple of Jesus. He's going to leak out. The first place he leaks out is when you're baptized. And finally, you have unity in the Father. God the Father is often used in Scripture as the most comprehensive and inclusive divine title. Monotheism, we believe in one God. We're accused by the Muslims of being polytheistic. We, they say you have many gods, we just have one. No, we don't believe in three separate gods, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God manifested three ways, the triune God, unity, and it's beyond all our comprehension completely, but we're created in his image. We're a body, soul, and spirit. And not all religions worship one God, especially our God, God the Father. So when we're walking worthily, doesn't mean you have to be perfect because you're going to be disappointed in the fact that you're not. But you know what? We walk with purpose, don't we? I'm a follower of Jesus. That helps me decide where I'm going with my life. It helps me decide in the choices I make. It helps me decide in what I do every day. And, I, and I'm going to not only walk with that purpose, but I'm going to persevere and I'm going to continue to grow in him. So I guess my last question would be, what kind of walking are you doing? We need to walk in the Lord. I'm so thankful for people that do. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the unity of this church. I didn't say uniformity. I said the unity. Because people come in here and we lift up the name of Jesus and we worship him and honor him. And I'm so thankful that people have that. And we want to continue to do that. But I'm also glad to be part of people I like. I like you, most of you, <laughs> all of you. I'm kidding you. It's good to be with you. Let me close this in prayer. Thank you for being here tonight. Lord, may we endeavor to keep the unity through the Holy Spirit in our life, helping us to walk in ways that would be honoring to you with humility and perseverance and gentleness and control and long-suffering, long-patience, long-tempered. We ask that you help us to encourage one another. Sometimes we just need to encourage each other, and I pray that you'll help us as we walk in you, that others would be drawn not to us, not to our church, but to Jesus we come together this Sunday, we'll 
we'll honor you and, and worship you. But in the meantime, help us to represent you in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Again, we lift up David Lawson and Levada Bradley and a host of others who are very, very sick. We ask you to help them in this time of need. You told us we could come to you in time of need, and we're asking it now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, folks, for being here. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.